And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed. Each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds. And trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens uh, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let, the birds, or let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. We're going to stop there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. 
and now the proclamation of it. Uh, so, we started Genesis last week, right? What's our series titled? Anybody remember? Think about it, think about it. Three words. Behold our God. Somebody said it. Behold our God. We get to see in this book this great and awesome God that we serve and that we love and that we've come into fellowship with. Um, there are probably 20 to 30 more sermons that could have been preached on those first five verses, right? I, I feel so uh, like I'm just tipping the bucket, you know, just, just a drop. Like it, there's so much here because God is so big. God before the beginning who has always existed, the eternal triune holy God of all things and all time, who always was and always will be and always is. There he was before the earth was created. And there is God at the beginning, in creation, by the power of his word, speaking breath into life, things that did not exist, out of nothing into things that now do exist. And here is him in the beginning giving order to all of these things with the sun and the moon and bringing light to the earth and making it uh, not formless and void and empty and dark, but making it have life and, and beauty and purpose and uh, fullness. So he created all these things and he gave order to all these things. He gave light so that these things could be seen and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So if you're not real familiar with the beginning of the Bible and how it starts, we've got this sequence listed here of seven days. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We've covered the first one last week, and I say covered loosely, uh, but we covered the first day last week, and now we're going to try to get two through six, at least at the top of day six. Uh, and again, this is written by Moses, who wasn't there for any of this. Right, But by the Holy Spirit and the heritage of Jewish um, culture and history, these things would be written down so that the truth would be preserved. And so our key theme this morning really isn't different from last week's. Uh, it is to behold our God. Uh, we see all of these things coming to life, all of creation happening, but it's really more about the creator than it is about the creation. And there's no way I'm, I can just like go through verse by verse here with, with these 20 verses straight through. So what I, what I really want to do with our time this morning is draw our attention to three key elements that are repeated over and over and over in these verses. And they all start with a T to make them easier to remember. Time, tomber, and treasure. Time, tomber, and treasure. Uh, we'll look at this creation account, starting with, with time, and we will be moved to glory in our Creator and His timely creation and cherish His strong words. So let me show you what I mean by time. What does verse 8 says? What does verse 8 say? And God called the expanse heaven, and what? There was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Verse 13, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Verse 19, and there was evening, and there was morning, the third, the fourth day. Verse 23, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Verse 31, we won't get there, but, and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. I wonder if he does that on purpose. 
huh? The repetition seems to demand our attention. You can't ignore that, right? And listen, this is not just poetic language or a fanciful use of words. It is not um, less than that, but it is far more than that. First and foremost, let's reflect on God's time. God is outside of time as we know it. There are a lot of knuckleheads in church history and even today who think that God has to work within our own time, this time that he created. But that would make the creator equal to or less than his own creation. That doesn't work, right? God's years are numberless, and he is in his own category when it comes to space and time. That's the first thing we need to understand. But then we ask, why is this here? Evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning. One day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day. The first is that this is a piece of God's providence. God immediately put order into his creation. Then what? Does he just sort of spin the earth on his finger like a basketball and watch it from a distance? No, he's doing things. He is in charge of this earth. He's ruling this earth. He keeps the order for his creation. Creation and providence go together like peanut butter and jelly. Creation and providence make sense with God. Moses wants us to see that in everything God was doing, the first initial command for light and day, evening and morning, is still happening. God not only instituted it, he sustained it. Jonathan Edwards would say, God's creation and providence are seamlessly blended together. In other words, if God is creator, he must be sustainer. And if God is sustainer, he must be king, right? He rules over what he has created. From the simple ongoing statement, morning and evening, we learn from the very first chapter of the Bible that God governs all things. There is nothing outside of God's control. He is not reliant on his creation. He is not reliant on our decision. Evening, morning, evening, morning. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. God is doing this. Then there's something else we have to talk about here. If God is outside of time as we know it, are these literal 24-hour days? And some of you have heard of these conversations that uh, people love to swim around in in apologetic circles, uh, and I can't not talk about it. Um, what does the Bible say? It says evening, which is the Hebrew word Arab. It is dusk. It is twilight. It is sunset. It is used 134 times throughout the rest of the Old Testament to describe that type of thing. Morning is the word boker. It means dawn. It means daybreak. It means the end of the night, right? Just like the sunset that I got to observe this morning because of the day change. It's used 214 times throughout the rest of the Old Testament referring to morning, the sun coming up. And finally, there's the word day. This one you might be a little bit more familiar with. It's the word yom, Y-O-M in Hebrew. It refers to a real 24-hour day with a morning and an evening. It can sometimes, in the Old Testament, refer to an age or some other kind of season, but when it does that, it's always explicitly stated in the context that this is allegorical for a longer season. In Genesis 1... 
we don't see any connotation that this contextually refers to a longer period of time than a 24-hour day. So, let's say these are a literal uh, seven days of creation that are taking place. That causes all of us who hold to this to say that the earth is somewhere around five to 6,000 years old. Now, here's the problem, though. When you get out your smartphone later today and you Google how old is the earth, it's going to say 4.5 billion years. So what do we do, right? And let me clarify before we go any further that before the 18th century, the 18th century, that's 1,800 years, no one really believed that the earth was billions of years old. But still, by and large, if you tell someone in our culture that this is a young earth, you're probably going to be subject to some type of ridicule, right? It's become very popular to believe that the earth is, is old. Um, many Christians, though, don't hold to a young earth, literal seven-day view. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get too deep, but I do want you to be aware of what's going on as a Christian. And you can research and do your own study, and there's great books on the topic. Um, but I think a lot of this has come about um, because of a result of Christians trying to accommodate man-made sciences and research. Um, I don't say that in a negative way. I think that is what has happened. Um, and I think there are five common stances that people take. The first one you've heard of is called evolution. Evolution. Everything evolved from something. Even humans, right? Tim talked a little bit about evolution in Sunday school. Um, I don't believe this is compatible with Scripture in God's creation account. There's a second option called theistic evolution. That is for the evolutionist who sees some sort of scientific backing but still wants to believe in God. So we fit in evolution to this uh, narrative. We want to combine those two worlds. And this, I confess, is also incompatible with the Scriptures in God's creation account. The third you might have heard of is called the gap theory. Because the earth was without form and void, the gap theory Christian believes that there was a large undetermined amount of time between verse 1 and verse 2. So God destroyed the first earth and then started over with the rest of creation after verse 2. And so that allows for a super long period of time to go by. Um, and again, I think this passage or that view takes from what isn't there more than what is there, right? And we want to be careful when we have convictions and belief system based on, well, it's not in the Bible, so that doesn't mean it's not true, versus what is in the Bible. So we want to take from what is in the text, right? So I don't know if that is a reliable viewpoint. And the fourth is called progressive creationism. You can probably guess what that means, right? So day one is a really long time, not a real seven, uh, 24-hour day. Day two is a really long time, not a real 24-hour day. God took ages to do his creation work. A billion years might have gone by while he was creating the swarming things in the seas, right? Um, and this is the newest of all of these theories. It is a result of trying to be biblical, but also trying to accommodate with what our smartphone says, right? And what scientists say. Um, 
But based on the context, again, there aren't any indicators that this is a long, drawn-out process. It seems to be very immediate by the way the Bible reads. And then so finally, there is the oldest view, the view that I would argue is the most biblically faithful, that is the six literal days of creation. Evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, morning. One day, two day, three day, four day, five day, six day. If Moses were trying to communicate to the rest of mankind that God created the world in a few billion years, he did a really poor job. The Holy Spirit really failed to make that clear with the Scripture. If we're wrong, we may be wrong. Um, but if we're at least trying to be faithful to the Scriptures, I don't think um, uh, we will be at fault. So let's assume, going forward, that this is a literal six days. What are the spiritual implications for us as readers? Right? We're getting out of the deep waters. Let's go back to reality where everybody's in the pews now. Y'all with me, right? Y'all can go research more of that on your own. God is way more powerful than we think he is. In a mere six days, God created everything. I could barely get a sermon finished in six days. Me and Mariel started painting our house. It's going to take months, right? It ain't going to take no six days. Behold the one whose strength is unmatched, whose power is unlimited. Do you remember the story of Job? Job had it all, and it was all taken away from him. And so he spends 38 chapters begging God for answers. And then chapter 39 comes, and God speaks, and he says to Job, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or, or who stretched the line upon it? What were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like garment. From the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. You should probably read the rest of that this afternoon. Job's response after two chapters of that is that he laid his hand over his mouth. Our response is to either praise this great and awesome God for his creation with every fiber of our being or to put our hand over our mouth. God was there when all the stars sang together in creation. And remember, when, 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 when is repeated. God was there when he made the clouds a garment for the expanse of the waters. And we weren't. And you know what else? 
We should be a people of great faith if we believe Genesis 1. This is our God. He's not the, just the God of creation. He's the God of the church. He's the God of, of us today. He created the world in six days. What can he do today by the power of his might for the good of his people? Anything he pleases. What can he do among us? Do we have great faith? as KC was testifying about, more can happen in six days than any of us ever thought possible. We ought to have faith. And so what's amazing about all this is not just that God did it, but how he did it. How did he do it? By the timbre of his voice. That's a musical term referring to the way something sounds, the timbre of it. By the timbre of his voice. And again, here's a repetition. Look at verse 6. And God said, verse 9, and God said, verse 11, and God said, verse 14, and God said, verse 20, and God said, verse 24, and God said. You can't avoid that repetition, right? It's one of those that's just hitting you in the face when you read it. Now, we learned last week that God made light by the power of his voice. I wonder what he's going to do to create everything else. The power of his voice, right? His voice wonderfully and mysteriously causes all things to just come into existence out of nothing. The heavens, the waters and the dry lands, the plants, the trees, the fruit, the seed, uh, outer space, galaxy upon galaxy. Living creatures swarming through the seas, birds flying through the air, uh, creatures swarming upon the earth, beasts, livestock, creepy, crawly bugs and things. Everything in existence testifies to the voice of God. I can't not bring up Psalm 19. I know I already read a long passage of scripture from Job, but listen. Psalm 19, and I think Tim shared this again in, in Romans 1. It goes so well. The heavens declare... The glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. All of creation is crying out to us. The voice of God. Each sunset is pouring out speech to us. Each night is revealing knowledge of our God. His holy speech goes out through all the earth because all the earth was created by his speech. But there are many who refuse to listen to nature's testimony. Listen to Isaiah. He was aware of this. Chapter 66, verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But, there is, but this is the one to whom I will look, he says. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now, here's my question for us. Do you tremble at the word of God? And God said, 
does that ignite something deep inside you? And God said, the Lord has no need of anything, no need of us, no need of anything he has made. But even though he has it all, there's one thing he's looking for, people who tremble at his word. Do you know what God has said? Do you know what God has said? There's two ways for me to apply this now. One is that we are indifferent to what God's word says rather than trembling in hearing it. Are any of us indifferent? This is the kind of church who will allow weeks and weeks of expositional preaching to go by and exemplify very little or no life change. This is the kind of person who will read their Bible often, but never treat it as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the kind of danger that leads to things like head knowledge and Bible trivia, rather than an ongoing conversation with the God who created everything, who is speaking to us every time we open the Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit. This changes things. We ought not be indifferent to the Word of God. But the second thing here is something I also fear for us. We can't tremble before God's word if we don't know God's word or if we don't read God's word. We're like the Israelites throughout the ages who God provided prophet after prophet after prophet and their ears were deaf and their eyes were blind and their hearts were hard and they wouldn't hear it. And judgment came. Family, God has spoken. We are fools. To not read what God has said. The God of Genesis 1 speaks. Right? Have you ever heard the old atheist who says, I can't be a Christian because they believe that God wrote a book and they don't read it. We're crazy. God has spoken. And listen, it's March. Maybe you started reading in January. Starting off the year right. February's gone by. You struggle a little bit. March is here. Are you still reading? Are you still reading? Are you eager to read the words of eternal life? Do you get your highlighter out and your pens and pencils and commentaries, whatever it takes to understand it better, to learn, to grow? If God were to pass by Spindale this very morning, would he find people who tremble at his word? Or would he find a people eager to get out by 12 o'clock? Because me, Pablitos, is filling up fast. Right? God is far more powerful than we think he is. And his word is far greater than we can possibly imagine. Take up and read. But finally, there's the treasure that I spoke of before. And this is all of creation. All of creation. Now we're going to move super fast to end this thing. Here is this treasure that God calls good. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning the second day. God created an expanse. And that expanse gives him glory. The expanse, the heaven, is, is describing a vast, special difference separating the earth from the skies, uh, another word for that word in, in Hebrew for heaven is sky. And, th and that's the, the testimony that, that, that the Lord gives to Job. The, those clouds being a garment for the earth. 
and all the blue skies and white vapors covering the earth become the earth's clothing and God calls it good and wonderful. There's a certain stratosphere full of oxygen that keeps us alive and keeps plants growing and makes things habitable. And it also happens to be beautiful to look at. But the most important action we should take when looking at the skies is the same action God took. And say, glory, glory in this mighty creator. This creation testifies to his voice. Verse 9, what does he create next? Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. The dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Water, dry land. They give him glory. God introduces to us in verse 9, dirt. And it's good. The very ground beneath us testifies to the word of God. That orange clay dirt of North Carolina, that sturdy soil in Washington State, the sandy shores of Florida testify to the goodness of God's creation. We ought to give him glory for the very sea and dry land that we observe every day. Verse 11 God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seeds, fruits, tr fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. He brought forth vegetation, plants, yielding seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, good, good. God created plant life. And that gives him glory. Our harvesting God called out with his voice and trees came up. Crops, bushes, grass, flowers, each according to their kind, producing a seed for the sake of multiplication. From dandelion to redwood, God is glorified by this creation. So we should glory in our maker from the ferns on our front porch to the bananas that hang on our, uh, our kitchen counter. God saw that this was good. Verse 14, what else did God create? He said, let there be lights and expanse in the heaven to separate the day from the night. Let, there, let them be for signs and seasons, days and years. Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God created the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night. And he separated the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. God naturally built in a 365-day rotation to this earth with seasons of cold and hot <laughs> and day and night, which, which means that God was doing just fine without the time change, wasn't he? I mean, come on. That is totally a man-made invention. My goodness. But one of the greatest glories we get to partake in in our day is the wonder of the galaxy upon galaxies surrounding this earth. Say what you want about space exploration, but it is phenomenal that we get to gaze upon the beauty and wonder of God's creation in worlds never before seen. 
with every starry night, every shadow on the ground caused by the sun, every season that goes by, God said this is good and we should give him glory. Verse 20, we'll move faster here. God created sea life. He created winged life, birds, and they were what? Good, this is day five, this is day five. By the power of his word, the waters began to swarm with great creatures, each according to their kind. Orcas, dolphins, octopus, shrimp, crustaceans, whales, coral, starfish, bass, crappy, brim, right? They began to swarm about the waters for the glory of God. And then, above the seas, God created birds to fly about the expanse of the heavens. They would make their nests in his newly created trees. And God is always after more glory. So he said, multiply, fill this earth with my voice. And it was good. And so we take glory in those fish that swim in the waters and the birds that fly among the skies. And then finally we get to day six. God created animals. And they were what? They were good. God opened his mouth. And elephants came forth. And sheep. And squirrels. And snakes. And grasshoppers. And everything in between. All the beasts of the earth according to their kind. It is hard to imagine this world without animals, isn't it? They seem to be practically ingrained into human culture from the very beginning. Moses calls many of them livestock, right? Like they're part of our, our world. Animals, one of the most fascinating and personal of all God's creation, are not just for zoos and dog parks. They are for God's glory. They are good from gorilla to rabbit, cats and dogs. All these exist to testify to the power of God's voice. There's something really special about having a pet, by the way, you know. I know people have allergies sometimes. Not everybody can have pets for various reasons. Maybe you just don't like animals. That's okay. But man, whether you, you have a horse on a farm, and I will never own a horse, by the way, but uh, unique relationships are, are created, and it's just good. It's just good. Um, I, I, I will give you permission this week to go watch, binge watch, I give you, the pastor's giving you permission to binge watch something on TV this week, okay? Planet Earth is, is a wonderful series to glorify this God and his creation. The beasts of the earth are opportunities for us to behold God and give him glory. So we're done. We're going to see the end of day six next week. But I can't just leave you with animals are good. That's no way to end a sermon, is it? I think it's easy for us to look at Genesis 1 and suddenly resolve to become humanitarians, overwhelmed by the task at hand to take care of this earth, to be worried about pollution, sign petitions, make ethical advances to take care of these things that give God glory. And we certainly should do that, right? But it's a seemingly impossible task until we get two things right. First, the earth is whose? God's and the fullness thereof. 
all of it belongs to God. God rules and reigns over all of this marvelous creation. He is creator. He is sustainer. He is king. God has commissioned us with certain responsibilities we'll learn about soon when we get to man. But we never become rulers of the earth like he does. He owns it all. That's the first thing we have to learn. But second, and most important, fair are indeed the meadows. Fairer still the woodlands, robed in the blooming, the blooming garb of spring. But Jesus is fairer. Jesus is purer. Who makes the woeful heart to sing? Fair is the sunshine. Fairer still the moonlight and all the twinkling starry hosts. But Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. For the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the skies, for the beauty of the hour, the day and the night, hill and vale, tree and flower, sun and moon and stars and light, none give a more joyful hymn of praise to our Lord than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. There is only one who has come into the world, begotten of the Father, but not created. He walked on the dusty roads created by his Father's voice. He walked even on the seas that he created and commanded the storms to cease and the winds to stop. And though he was Lord over all of creation and he loved his creation deeply and found it very good. He saw its corruption and came to this earth and he is the only one that has ever been on this earth that God truly calls beloved, supreme, the most God-glorifying being that has ever been and ever will be and always is. We must get our priorities right. Christ is infinitely greater and stands outside of anything God has created. For none of God's creation can atone for sins. None of God's creation can bear our penalty on a cross of wood made from the vegetation of the ground. None of creation can stand on our part before a holy God and advocate for us eternal life none of creation can do it but this one and this one alone who entered creation on our behalf that we might be saved do you glory in the savior most of all for his good and great gospel this creation alone is longing still for more i love the skies and i love the water and the earth and I love the plants and trees and vegetables and fruits and how good they taste. I love the seasons, the sun, the moon, the stars. I love the mesmerizing creatures in the deep and the birds of the air. And I love the amazing animals that inhabit this earth. But I love Jesus all the more. No sweeter name do we know who keeps us singing every day, who fills our every longing. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? 
If you do, worship him. Don't worship this creation. Worship the fairest of them all who saves us by the power of his gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.